Welcome everybody to another episode of Am I Tripping? Uh, today I want to talk a little bit about uh, the NFL and the George Floyd situation that's uh, going on in the United States as a whole. Not just the NFL, NBA, NHL, you know, pretty much everybody. I even asked Carlton came out and said something, so... I mean, I'm, I don't want to be too cynical about it because I don't want to sound like, you know, what they're saying don't have merit to it. It could have some merit to it, and it probably does. And it's definitely time about time to hear it. So I don't think today's uh, time to be condemning anybody for making statements, you know, that are right and centered in the right, in the right position. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes uh, certain people want it, you know what I'm saying, both ways. You can't always have it both ways. Sometimes you got to take it one way, one way at a time. And I believe that um, all the big organizations and uh, all our, our prime leagues are coming up and saying, making statements that you know need to be made. Uh but now the difference is in each comment, there's been some form of blowback or some type of cynical, oh, yeah, I'll, I bet you you don't do that, but it sounds good type talk. And so I just wanted to more or less stress that. Uh, I'll probably start off with baseball first. Uh, you know, uh in the baseball situation, uh, when I was growing up, it was a. I, anybody heard this podcast before? Know that I, I grew up. I grew up playing baseball. I had hundreds and hundreds of baseball cards and stuff like that. So baseball was my sport. So I grew up watching, you know, uh, Bill Maddox. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Willie Stargell. You know that old school Pittsburgh Pirates team. We are family team. You know, uh, grew up, you know what I'm saying, watching Willie McGee in the outfield for the Cardinals, Ozzie Smith, Rod Carew, you know, uh, Bob Watson, who just passed away, God bless, uh, Reggie Jackson. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. Joe Morgan, you know, it was just so many you know, great ball players. George Foster was always one of my favorite ball players that played for the Reds. Dusty Baker, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, a, a lot of black ball players. Dave Winfield, can't, throw, can't miss Dave Winfield or Andre Dawson. So it was just so many black ball players, and baseball was able to, you know, use their. Uh, their presence in the game to sell the game to everybody. That's not the case now. And that's not been the case for a long, 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 long time. Uh, I think the uh, baseball, you know, started dwindling as far as, you know, natural black ball players when guys like Albert Bell and guys like that started retiring, Gary Sheffield. 
you know, and guys like that, and we just haven't been able to replace them. You know, who's been the replacement for Ken Griffey and guys like that? And this is no disrespect to Manny, you know, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, uh, Alex Rodriguez, or any of those guys. But the homegrown black athlete, especially baseball player from back in the days, was something that back in the neighborhoods, back in your hoods, that kind of made you want to go out and get that back. You know, I mean, baseball was so big at one time, especially where I'm from back in Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. I mean, we had three different, two different areas that you can play uh, ball, that you can play ball at first Dayton or Dayton View. And, you know, we would, you know, shut down. The, our main road was, was Gettysburg, and guys would walk, you know what I'm saying, to, on opening day, we would start a parade that would walk all the way up Gettysburg to Crown Point to, you know what I'm saying, where First Dayton was, and that would be, you know, Carnival Day. It was a big thing in the whole city, you know, and it's just not like that anymore. I mean, you just don't find, you know, black athletes no more. I mean, I happen to say, I mean, the Reds, is, I, I talk a lot about the Reds because growing up, that was my grandfather's favorite team, the Reds and the Dodgers. And, you know, I mean, you just haven't been able to, you know, make up for a lot of, you know, guys that have moved on. And uh, it's been sad. And I'm just wondering where baseball sees uh their position to become make baseball more diverse so you can get more black ball players back into the game. Um so I mean if they were making their statements as far as the George Floyd thing based on uh the Dominican players and some of the other Latin players that have come in that look black and are black, but they're not American black. So therefore yeah, they might have some of the issues, but they don't have to grow up in these issues. Now, here go the killer part. They're, uh, they're growing up is probably 10 times worse without the racism, just being flat out poor and broke. So I'm not saying that the way that those guys came up is a slate or a slot against them in any kind of way. I just believe that this George Floyd's situation should really make baseball think about how do we get back our homegrown black athletes? How do we replace our Deion Sanders, our Bo Jackson, you know, our Vince Coleman? You know, how do we replace these guys? Daryl Strawberry, Doc Good. How do we replace these guys? CC Sabathia. You know what I mean? Baseball has a big, big racial issue surrounded around its game. Believe me, baseball is a sport that if you're good, you can get 10, 10 to 20 years out of. To me, out of all the sports, baseball is probably the most comfortable sport that you can actually cruise into and actually retire out of with them in 15 to 20 years. You know, and be a marginal ball player. You don't even have to be a superstar. You can just be marginal. 
and be able to get that off. You got to remember in baseball, if you strike out seven out of ten times, you're a star. That means you're still batting 300. So, I mean, that's always been the thing about baseball. So, it, it, there's so many opportunities that you can still be, you know, successful by the viewers, by the baseball eyes and the baseball viewers, you know, that you don't have to be perfect. If you go seven out of ten, if you miss seven out of ten shots in, in the NBA, shit, guys looking at you like, you know, your career really ain't, you know, valid in any kind of way. And Lord knows if you go missing seven out of ten passes as a quarterback, your career, if you're not, you know, lily white and know how to hold the clipboard tight, I mean, your career ain't going to be much of nothing in football as well. But in baseball, seven out of ten can make you a star. So... For anybody to believe that our young black athletes and our young black stars wouldn't take up a baseball bat and a glove and use what's natural to them, which is speed, to be successful in the baseball game, they're silly. But the game doesn't feature the things that really brought, you know, black ball players into the game. You know, especially after they sit it on Barry Bonds so bad about the steroids. And more or less, the main reason why they did that is more or less because Barry was hitting home runs. They wouldn't worry so much about Barry Bonds when he was hitting singles and making them into doubles or hitting doubles and turning them into triples. Barry Bonds in Pittsburgh was not a target at that time, and he was just as good, if not better, than anybody seen him in San Francisco. But... After the you know the layoff, the, uh, as far as the players striking baseball and guys getting back you know back on the diamond whatever, the game been had the same touch to it. You know so, you know they needed a Sammy Sosa, a Latin player. They needed a Barry Bonds, a African American, a truly United States of American black, and then they also needed Mark McGuire, the, the average you know, humble. Oh, jeez, look at me, you know, white guy. Baseball needed all of that. And you don't have that now. So a lot of times people look at baseball as the third, sometimes the fourth sport in, in, in America. And that's never really been the case when I was growing up. Baseball was king, boxing was second, and everything else just kind of like followed on in. Baseball is, you know, at the back of the pack now. You know, you got guys nowadays that rather watch a golfing event and then uh, watching a baseball game. And uh, that's sad. So uh, hopefully baseball can, you know, go back to the things that made some of their old uh, successful uh, black athletes, you know, successful at that time. Let's go back to, put, you know, adding speed back into the game. Let's go back to, you know what I'm saying, put more strategy into the game. Because when the game had was full of strategy, you had a lot more black ball players. The game now is strike out a home run. Strike out a home run. Your pitchers, I grew up watching Lee Smith go go, go eight or nine uh, uh, innings down there every time he jumped on the bump. That was just a, a natural for Lee, you know, for Lee Smith to, you know, give you that. 
And then when he went into the bullpen and became a save master, it was even worse. You know, I vital blue. And guys like that, man, I mean, I grew up watching pitchers, you know what I'm saying, actually, you know, had to pitch through situations and, and use strategy to set up hitters. It's really not the, the strategy in the game is really not the, the same. They don't play with that old bullshit shift. And, you know, I just, the game just, it, it's just not baseball no more. You know, so I think. Those are some of the things that uh, baseball owners will have to look into. And then they got to do something that they've never chose to do. They got to get a minority owner. You know, you don't, you don't sprinkle in a couple minority coaches, you know what I'm saying? Dusty Baker, to me, is always going to be the greatest, if not the best black uh, manager, if, you know, major league manager to four minds to a certain degree. Him and Joe Torrey. You know, Tony LaRusso, you know, guys like that, you know, always be great to me. But I also grew up watching coaches like Jim Fry and guys like that. You know, so baseball is a great sport. And I believe that baseball is costing themselves and have cost themselves billions of dollars by not finding a way to include the black athletes. So it's going to be interesting to see if they but with this George Floyd situation and now racism and everything being brought to the forefront to see how baseball really truly happened. Heard what the message was, but that's what we're talking about now. How, how many messages are really real? Uh, next, we'll talk a little bit about the NBA. Now, uh, out of all the leagues, I believe there is no league more fair to our black athletes than the NBA. I don't even think it's close. Is the NBA perfect? No. I got major. I still got major issues with the NBA. One of my major issues with the NBA is how the NBA very secretly replaced small black college stars, the Joe Dumars, the Scottie Pippins, and. You know, uh, uh, your Ben Wallace's and, you know, uh, just plenty of small black colleges, man. Back in the days, Lindsey Hunter, you know, I mean, Avery Johnson. There was a lot of people that came from out of small black schools. The NBA had replaced those ball players that came out of small black schools with foreign ball players that are from Czechoslovakia and Russia in China and from the Ukraine and Chile and France and Africa. They went and got every other ball player besides the small black college ball player. And I feel like that's some bullshit, and the NBA did that real secretly because there wasn't any white ball players in the league that were worth a fuck really at the Larry Bird left. So they always try to replace, you know, and I believe systematically it's a good thing. I do believe you do need white stars. The league was better when you had, you know what I'm saying, that white guy that, you know what I'm saying, white people could really champion as one of the best, if not one, if not the best in the game. And Larry Bird held them down for pretty much his, his career. Towards the end, he got bad for him, bad back and stuff like that. But, boy, in his heyday, boy, you couldn't tell a white man nothing about who was the best ball player in the NBA. 
and it was Larry Bird. And it, that sense of white pride playing in the NBA against, you know, ball players like Dr. J and Kareem and Oscar Rob. Well, Oscar was dumb, but, you know, just com- coming from that lineage and still to have that white star that they can put their hands on and that white star that they can feel comfortable about, that was a big thing, and it did do well for the league. I just didn't feel like we needed to stop, you know, trying to find those same young white faces over here in America. We don't change. I feel like nowadays a kid, a young white kid, got a better shot. Of being, I mean, he don't even have to be shit because most of these foreign motherfuckers that y'all bringing over here really ain't that goddamn good. You you scrape up on a Dirk Nowinski or something like that every blue moon, but, you know, not enough for you to just act it like, you know, you didn't need the American-born white ball players anymore. So not only has the NBA real secretly replaced the small black college star, but they also did pretty bad, pretty, you know, fucked up damage to the the uh, homegrown white uh, star. You know, I mean, there still should be some homegrown white uh, NBA stars in the league. And they, don't get me wrong, some of those young white guys got to take it upon themselves to want to be great. A lot of those guys, I can't really say want to be great. They want to just be in the league. And that's kind of, that's kind of troublesome. That's kind of bothering. But still as a whole, there's no league that brings about, you know what I'm saying, you know, some form of balance in the locker room, in the in the head offices, and area in areas like that, don't nobody do a better job than basketball. The NBA, by far, by far. So, uh, when I heard Roger, uh, not Roger Goodell, but uh, Silverman, Adam Silverman's statement about uh, how the NBA feel and uh, how he championed his uh, young black uh, stars to go out there and protest and throw it up. Uh, That's what you would would expect from, you know, Silverman and the NBA. And uh, it's execs, it's it's, uh, team owners, and guys like that. uh, You know, NBA been pretty much, you know, on the level that you would expect. And I'm glad to see that. I do believe that the NBA for so long has tried their best to shine a light on a lot of these issues that we in the streets fighting for and burning shit up about right now. So they did their job. They just wasn't properly listened to. And shit, on that stage that night, the LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, guys like that made, you know, made their message, whatever you was looking at. Over a million, over uh, probably a billion dollars, you know what I'm saying, worth of money right there in your face. I know LeBron down there worth a billion. That ain't count what Dwayne worth. And Melo on always collected all of his checks. So, you know, when I say, you know, you're looking at a lot of money that was on that stage that night begging, begging people to listen. And... All the applause that they got after they made their they statement and how we talked about it for the next week or two and 
It was the flavor of the month, you know what I'm saying? They talk about what they did at the ESPY award and all that. And then the shit went dead. I mean, the shit went dead. I mean, Chris Paul got to be worth over $500 million between State Farm and his NBA contracts. There's no way that all this money on the stage and they're begging literally begging for people to pay attention to them and their voices went silent. Their voices were, you know, loud for the moment, but in the, in the, you know, future and far as, as everything went on, that, that loudness of their voice became a silent whisper. And that's kind of sad, man. And that's, I, mean, I ain't gonna say kind of sad, that's really sad. <clears throat> but, like I said, it's good to see, you know, uh, the NBA take their, their lead in this because they've definitely been leading the whole way for us athletes, especially black athletes, having the ability to speak out and speak up about it. The NBA ball players have been outstanding. And I ain't just talking so much about LeBron and them because there's other guys that have made strong statements and have made, you know, put their money where their mouth is when in these type of causes that we probably don't know anything about. And that's a good thing that we don't know about it because if you're doing it from your heart, it shouldn't be something that always needs to be announced anyway. So I've always respected that, and I know there's a lot of young men in the NBA do a great job of representing their league and representing their neighborhoods and their parents and their peoples by the way that they carry themselves. Uh. Last but not least, I mean, I ain't going to say last but not least because uh, the NHL, hockey, hockey even made a comment. And believe me, out of all the people I thought would make comments, hockey and race car driving, and you couldn't have told me that those those entities would have any comment, you know, at all. Uh, and if they didn't have comments, it really wouldn't, to me, shouldn't really been a major thing because you really didn't have a lot of black athletes in those sports. Uh, I know NHL hockey got to be less, if not borderline, maybe 10% black, if that. And uh, shit, NASCAR, probably even less than that, probably 5%. So... Those people, I mean, those entities uh, had comments and, and spoke out. Uh, do I think that it's going to make a difference on how you all open up the doors uh, in NASCAR for more black drivers to come on that racetrack and, you know, try to live their dreams the same way Denny Hamlin and guys like that are out there being able to, you know, live their dreams and guys have been able to live their dreams? Will they be able to have those same opportunities? Who knows? Only time would tell. Uh, but they seem to be open to it. And, you know, like I said, uh, not being too over cynical about it, that's the only thing that you can really ask for. You know, now we also get a chance to pay attention to their actions. <laughs> but, I mean, we can't. I don't, I'm not in, in position or to really read somebody's heart. So when they say that, that's when they're saying what they're saying, the only thing we can do now is put on note what they say and pay attention to what they do. So that's my way of looking at the hockey and the race car situation 
far as those guys coming out and making statements. But the statement of them all come from the NFL. And this shit in the NFL gets really complex and tricky. And I'm going to tell you why. Because of the Trump situation, the Trump thing. I truly believe that the NFL, there's been at least 10 plus owners in the last three years that have lost viable time and maybe some Super Bowl appearances by not allowing Colin Ka- Kaepernick into the league. Now, I know people are going to be like, hold on, Sam. The dude, he, he wasn't Superman and no shit like that. He only got to the, to, the, to the big game once, and he took his team another time. I mean, there's been quarterbacks that did that and fell off. You know, Joe Flacco. And you're right. You're right. But the only difference is, I've seen what Jacksonville was able to do with, with a Blake Bortles as their quarterback. You can't, it's hard to convince me that if Collins, their quarterback that year that they got to the AFC Championship game, they don't win it. It's hard to convince me of that. I mean, it's been hard to convince me that there's other teams. I believe that there was no reason why, you know, especially uh, after the transition and the turnover that you've seen, there was no reason why Cleveland didn't take Collins. Bad as they needed an influx of a success coming from that position, and bad as they needed somebody that can be able to play the position at a decent to respectful, respectable uh, level, they continued to go with Deshaun Kaiser and any and everybody they could find in the draft besides Colin. I thought it was crazy as fuck. I didn't ever understand why they even put themselves in that situation. The Washington Redskins, the Redskins, the year that uh, Kirk, Kirk Cousins got them to like the second round of the playoffs or whatever, I believe with a better, you know, more mobile quarterback, a more a confident quarterback, which is definitely Colin, I believe that the Redskins several years could have been, you know, bigger players, you know what I'm saying, instead of having them old bullshit-ass records that they end up with. That also goes for the Giants. The Giants chose to put Geno Smith in there as their first black quarterback ever <laughs> to take a snap as a Giant just so they wouldn't have to go to college. Which I thought was, like, stupid as fuck. Didn't make no sense. You got Odell Beckham. Why wouldn't you want a motherfucker that can reach him with a strong arm? Colin is that. You know, you was, you know, you was struggling to figure out what you was going to do as far as the running game. Your quarterback, Colin, could have helped you in your running game before you even bought into the Saquon Barkley. So I just, just didn't understand those decisions, man. And uh, there's other teams as well, you know, the Cardinals. I believe that the Cardinals, you know, wasted Larry Fitzgerald the last three or four years. That If he had a decent quarterback, especially after Carson Palmer left, you know, that they could have still been able to maintain what they were doing. And please don't start, let me get started with the Chicago Bears. As bad as the Bears needed the quarterback to go with that stellar-ass defense that they've been putting out there for the last damn near five to ten years, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, and the last quarterback that they had, 
that was really a, you know, a quarterback that they can really, you know, depend on was a rebel, and that's uh, McMahon. They haven't cha- replaced Jim McMahon yet, and I don't understand why they, when they had a chance to grab Colin, they didn't grab him. I never understood why San Francisco chose to leave, let Colin just leave. <laughs> you know, so when I hear Roger Goodell say that we are uh, we are uh, a lead that supports Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we support you know uh, guys being able to you know use peaceful protests and things like that. All of that is so much different from what they uh, initially uh, were coming out with a saying. And all of that was centered around Trump. And if you think I'm tripping, just think about this. Trump were allowing these teams that have motherfucking big federal write-offs each year and having each one of those cities that was having those teams, a lot of times those cities were putting in taxpayers' money to help support those stadiums. When Trump got them and says, you know what, I can put a stop to that. Or I can make it a lot harder for y'all to get those funding from these cities that's, that, you, that you guys just playing in. I can make this real tough on you. That scared the shit out of them. And you know why it scared them? It's because they know they had already fucked Trump before. They didn't, they gotta remember, when Trump first bought his, <clears throat> the New Jersey Generals from the USFL, that ain't the team he wanted. He wanted the Buffalo Bills. He wanted the Buffalo Bills. They wouldn't fuck with him. They wouldn't fuck with him. They, they wouldn't let him fuck with him. And he couldn't buy the Giants. The marriage damn sure wasn't going to fuck with him. Didn't want no parts of his money. No, none of it. So the NFL pretty much blackballed Trump. So Trump ain't never had no real love for the NFL. He despised those owners. A lot of those owners that when he was trying to buy his way in are the same owners or the kids of the same owners that were blackballing him back in those days. So now that he's president, he's got full control over getting back even at the motherfuckers that held him out. <clears throat> they held him out. So... Coming in, they already knew once he became president that he was going to have some form of his aim, his aim pointed at them, and some of the people that had already did what he perceived had done him wrong by not allowing him into the league as an owner. <clears throat> so when now these same old chicken shit owners now had to deal with him, and you got too many owners that's got too much money tied up. Not only into these stadiums, but into other ventures that's located in the area. Other businesses in general. <laughs> and they just didn't want no fight with Trump about this shit. Where not only would he start fucking up their money for us on the field, but start blackballing them so much now their other businesses are starting to catch that wrath as well. And it was all based on the narrative that he wanted to present. That's how you know that this he this was always aimed at getting back at the owners. He just used the players as the props. 
Period. He just used the prayers as the prop. I think I don't think Trump gives more than a give a fuck about standing up for the goddamn uh the uh that anthem than anybody else in this goddamn country. There's plenty of white people that have sat down during the national anthem. There's been plenty of people that goddamn have been talking and doing other shit while the anthem is played. And once upon a time, the anthem wasn't even played at major games and shit like this. So all of this shit is centered around money, and then it's centered around Trump. And the NBA, the NFL owners, man, they just... Their backbone, I mean, their talk is 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 loud. I mean, their bark is vicious, but they bite comes with no teeth. The, the only times you see these motherfuckers really, really, really gun ho about attacking a situation is when it's attacking a player. Whatever a player might be in, a situation that a player might, you know, come across or whatever. They gun ho at trying to get to answers as far as trying to deal with those situations. But in a lot of cases, you know, when especially when it came up about this Trump shit, you know, mom was the nut was the word. So I knew this three years ago. Trump scared the motherfuckers away from Colin. And the only reason why they talking this way now is because they know deep down that Trump ain't going to get reelected. Believe me, if the same fear factor that Trump could fuck up this money was still lingering over the NFL, George George Smith, or I mean, uh, the the death uh, of George Floyd would not mean anything to him, to them in any kind of way. It would just be another death of another black man, and he wasn't an NFL ball player, so it didn't, it wouldn't have necessarily hit home. His best friend, the guy that's throwing it up for him the most which is Steven Jackson. He's not an NFL ball player. It really wouldn't have affected them in that same kind of way. But they know Trump is on his way out. So now they get a chance to pull their britches back up. Their britches are being pulled down for the last three years. And, and believe me, I believe a lot of these NFL owners were been waiting for this moment, waiting to push back on Trump. Knowing that they're, you know what I'm saying, if you got 70% of your team is black, that means you make money off the backs of blacks. And for you to just act like another motherfucker can tell you who don't make his money necessary off of blacks like you do, to fuck your black employees and treat and, and talk to your black employees like they ain't shit, and you got to accept it, as a the owner of the team because of who's saying it, that didn't make none of them owners feel well. That didn't make none of those owners feel good. A lot of those owners got way more money than Trump. You know, just in the grand scheme of it. We just talking about, you know, being an all-star at the bank. A lot of the, uh, damn, I would, wouldn't doubt if damn near all those owners got more money than Trump or floating around that area. But the the fear factor that he uh, that he opposed as being the president for four years, literally made allowed them to sacrifice Colin Kaepernick, several teams' opportunities to win Super Bowls or at least be more relevant than they ever were, and it allowed room for something like George Floyd to happen, 
And all majority of those same black athletes that were always upset, always, you know what I'm saying, feeling underappreciated, undervalued, it just allowed them to, you know what I'm saying, to finally just go the fuck off. And that's what they did. Uh, hearing Roger Goodell say that the NFL would be nothing without his black athletes. Hearing Roger Goodell says that, you know, he's standing with black lives. Hearing Roger Goodell says that they're, you know, starting with him. They're going to, you know, do a better job of being more diverse and things like that. All this just sounds good. And if, I'm going to tell you who it sounds the best for. It sounds probably the best for Jay-Z, you know, because... I truly believe that Jay-Z's close enough right now that there, if there was a team that was up on the market, I believe that not only could he pay for it or his or, or he can get a group of guys that can help him pay for the, a team, I believe that he would be the face that the NFL would be okay with as coming in and being an NFL owner. Now, how ironic that would be. They would let the old, the, the, the old dope man, turn around and be the NFL leader because of not of his past, but everything he's done and all the things that he can still do in the future. So I truly believe that one of the first things, if there's a, a sneak move that's, that's going to happen that you don't see, don't be surprised if one of these teams come up and Jay-Z, you know, uses his money and his influence to buy a team and become the first minority owner in the NFL. I don't think we, uh, we have enough interest in baseball to, for a guy to want to buy a baseball team, but there's plenty of interest in football and basketball for uh, black entertainers and stars to want to, you know, round their money up and, and go do something. I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Ice Cube couldn't goddamn purchase him a team or two right about now between what he on made in the rap game, the movie game, and running that big three to to the success that it's been, I bet you Cube's sitting on enough money to do something. So, I mean, that ain't counting Will Smith, Denzel Washington, and a lot of guys, Spike Lee. There's plenty of motherfuckers who's got some long paper that could get in on these schemes and on some of these moves that uh that would be, you know, earth-shattering, earth-shattering when it comes down to watching these leagues grow. Because growing up, you didn't see a black owners, so you never thought that there would be black owners. Until Bob Johnson bought, you know, the Hornets and then passed it on to Michael Jordan. You, Bob Johnson was the very first black owner in any of the major three sports, man. You know, the founder of BET, man. Bob Johnson made this shit happen for blacks, man. But... They haven't been able to progress off that power move that he put down. So I would love to see more of that. And I would be, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see that the next power move that the NFL put down won't be getting Colin into the league. It might be forcing one of these old broke-ass owners, I ain't going to say broke-ass owners, but forcing one of these owners of these teams who ain't been successful in a long time I can see, you know, a guy like Jay-Z buying that team. I really do. He's in the office. He's at the table with him now. We never had a we never had a, a guy worth what he's worth at the table with these guys before. 
And I believe that eventually this it can mean something significant. And uh, now I want to end this up with uh, talking about uh, what I seen in Minnesota, George Floyd itself. Because I don't believe that we can really, you know, have this conversation uh, uh, about what these leagues and all these situations that's uh, going on right now without talking about what, you know, what's the in ignition for these, what ignited these moves, what ignited these comments. And if anybody looked at that shit in Minnesota and didn't feel a certain kind of way, that means either you you down with that shit to the point where you willing to do that and wish that you could have been that cop that did that, or you're so tone deaf and so numb about seeing black people die that that didn't bother you in any kind of way. Because everybody else feels affected. Everybody else feels a certain kind of way. You know, and... Not this is the worst time. I mean, for the you know you the true redneck you know, up in the hills type white folk. This is the worst time in the world for you now, because now you realize two things. That in the nineties, when interracial uh, dating and interracial hooking up was became more you know prominent, became more natural, became more you know, accepted. Now, those same, your same granddaughters, your same daughters, you know what I'm saying, have went out and had babies with black men. Now your granddaughter, now your grandson is carrying on your name and he's black. That made, that makes you have to look at this shit different. And so in 2020, you're getting a chance to see a lot of cats that's out there, white, black, and other, that's got a lot of black people in their family. You got black people out there that's got a lot of white people in their family now. You got you, you got the average white cat right now. I'm, I would be surprised if he don't know somebody that's got a, a mixed child or a child, you know what I'm saying, that's got black blood in them. Kids that they love. I mean, these is your nephews and your nieces now. And they're black, and they're beautiful. And now you got to worry about the same shit that you were seeing on TV that was happening to the other blacks that you didn't think was so beautiful, that you didn't have no direct contact to. Now you got to worry about it. Well, that eventually happened to my black son or my my black daughter. Because don't nobody know if, if she got a white mama or not when the police pull up on them. They don't know if you got no white grandfather or none of that old good shit. What they know is what they see, and what they see is you black. So what happened to George Floyd, man, is fucked up. It's been fucked up for years. And what you're seeing now is the interracial boom of having, you know, interracial babies have brought, you know, more white and black people together to the point now those people, those same white people can't take those same views no more that their grandmothers might have had or even their mothers and fathers might have had. They can't take those point of views no more. They got a black son, they got a black daughter now. So they have to look at it different. They've been forced to look at it different. It's all in the makeup of our world. 
all of this is in the makeup of our world and how how things were always designed to be anyway. So now, the guys, you know what I'm saying, that's the lily, the lily uh, redneck, now he fighting, a, he fighting, I mean, because don't get me wrong, the, 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 the population is still 65% white. But now only 35% of those 65% of the white people feel the way that they did in the 70s, 60s, 50s. When, they, when their mothers and grandparents were watching black people be hung, watching black people get beat on, watching black people get dogs sicked on them and all that. You know, where, you know, calling them a nigger, calling guys, black people niggers were common. Not nothing that you had to watch your mouth about or not, nothing that you couldn't say in public and other people didn't, wouldn't, would not agree with you on. You can't do none of that shit now. So now those, those 35%, they looking at this shit like, how do we let this shit get like this? We got our own kind out there riding against us now. So we got them, theirs, and ours now. So now it's looking like 50%. This is by far, George Floyd's death has by far been the biggest civil rights movement ever. Ever. And George Floyd wasn't nothing but a regular old brother. Had a couple months on penitentiary numbers. Sound like he was a hustler. Sound like he also was a great athlete back in Houston. I don't know much about George Floyd at all. I see where people are trying to sit on him now and bring up his police records and all those type of things to try to denounce what's going on or try to denounce the the meaning of why we riding for him. But it's it's bigger than him. It's always have been bigger than him, and it will always continue to be bigger than him. This is always about how you look at other people. Not people that look like you, but people that breathe like you, people that bleed like you. People that if anything happened to this country would get beside you and fight just like you. That's what this has always been about. So, and... uh. In memory of George Floyd, I'd like to dedicate this podcast to his memory. And uh, I just hope that uh, as a whole, we can do better and we start to do better uh, for each other and uh, all the ones that we love. And even people that we don't you know, know too much about or don't even know at all or might not even care for. Still have some love for the fact that they're human. You ain't got to fuck with everybody. But make sure that you don't have issues why you don't fuck with somebody based on their color. And with that, I have to say thank you very much for giving me a listen. God bless you.